0: Consideration on the back page is from Pastor Dave Spurbeck out of his book, on Christ. And I thought this was a very important consideration to put in consideration. People see themselves. You think that at some point in time that you became a believer and you've arrived. And notice the Apostle Paul. He said that I'm the chief of sinners. Check it out. Of all the great Christians in the history of the church, we rank the Apostle Paul as the greatest. It was Paul who identified himself as the chief of sinners. His view was not that of one to overstatement for evangelistic reasons. He was a person who had looked through God's eyes for many years as he had lived his spiritual Christian life. He saw things as they really were. As a result, he was reveling in the grace that had saved him and sustained him. Paul's doctrine of self-esteem is summarized in the statement, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am chief. Act of he didn't talk about was in the past a sinner. He says, I am chief of sinners. You see? That's why I continually say, if you think that you're something other than you are, you're fooling yourself. Then I'm no good. You're no good. <laughs> it's only by the, the grace of God that we have who we have and we are who we are huge difference when you understand it. All right. It uh, comes to our uh, message on spiritual gifts, and we've been talking about spiritual gifts. This is our 15th message here on talking about spiritual gifts in the last couple of times out. Or, well, the last time we were talking about benevolent gifts. Um, and then so we were talking about faith, and now we, that brings us to, uh, uh, excuse me, not faith, um, uh, minister. which one was it? Mercy. Mercy. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Man, I can always count on. You're going to remember. And giving is the other benevolent gift giving. And so giving is an important thing. Now, I, you can know. It's pretty clear to know whether you have the gift of giving or not. Now, if you have the gift of giving, it's going to be off the charts. And if you're married to somebody, you probably are not going to be happy with you most In the church. And so you see that God in the church has given different gifts to each believer for the building up of the body of Christ. And so these benevolent gifts are gifts that are used by God to help uh, uh, meet out a benevolency to the local church or to the body. This giving gift is just an interesting one when you think about it. Now, there was a guy that existed um, back years ago, I think he died in 1969, named R.D. Letourneau. How many of you are familiar with him? But he had this big—he uh, um, had like 300 different patents. He had a lot of businesses, but one of them he's known by the building of these earth-moving uh, machinery. Uh, and it, this guy was a multimillionaire. And so uh, he actually one of the things that he did is he started this school of engineering in Texas, Longview, Texas. We know somebody who actually went to that school. Uh, Dan Straw went to that school. He graduated from. Uh, when he actually started that school, it was all men's school. I think they've now moved on from there. Uh, but this guy, R.G. Letourneau, worked his way to the point that he was giving away 90% of his income to the Lord. 90%. Now, this is somebody who really, I think, exemplifies the gift of giving. And if you read his story, he said that what he did was he uh, wanted to, as a believer, he was trying to figure out what his gift was and he thought it was pastor, and he thought it was evangelism. And then he came to find out it wasn't But 90% of his income, I say it again, 90% of what he made, he gave away. Now I think that this embodied person that would have the gift of giving. And what you're going to see with that person with the gift of giving is they have the ability to do this, and they're not dreading it. Now notice what he says here, and he had confidence, and you can see that he probably had confidence in the scripture that we read in 2 Corinthians. That it is God who it, so I don't have to worry about giving it away. Notice his quote here. He says, I shovel out the money, and God shovels it back, but it's a bigger shovel. About getting in control of it. Concerned about it. They know God's in control of it all, so the more He what's interesting, and I don't think, and Dr. Schaefer used to say this, and I have found it to be true. Do you know God cannot trust a lot of people with money? How many of you, if somebody gave you a million dollars today, would it change who you are? And what you did? He said, "Oh no, boy! If I had a million dollars, oh, I'd give to this person, I'd give to that person." And, well, you know, you get a million dollars, you start thinking. I don't want to not have a million dollars anymore, <laughs> and then you become a penny pincher. <laughs> you start gardening you to do it. Somebody and ask you for something? Oh, no, I don't have this guy was in his church once and the pastor told me he had this guy in the church and the guy was I guess on paper but he never gave. so the pastor didn't know so he came up and told to him I would give into the offering well the pastor didn't know that he gave or didn't give but he says this I would have given the offering but I'm just I know I'm worth a lot of money but it's just on paper (laughs) and so you have do you know I found them money you have, the more you want. Really? The more you get, the more you want. This guy, is a very uh, unique thing when you see a guy who does what this guy has, uh, this guy did. There are people who have the gift of giving and they have the ability to, they're not about possessions necessarily, they're trusting the fact that God provided this even if I gave it all away, God's going to provide again. They're not holding on to stuff. Right? They're easily and they are, they are freely able to give. Now, you can know you have the gift of giving when you are not concerned about holding on to things. You're freely able to give away the things that you have, knowing that God's going to provide more. Now, every believer should do this. And every believer should have this mindset. Really? That's where it's very that God's going to provide. some people who go over the line and they give, you know, you give 30 percent, and you start feeling oh, this. These people are giving more than that. I mean, they're given a huge portion, and it doesn't bother them. That's what we're going to see in Romans that the person that gives, they give with, with simplicity and it doesn't bother them. They're not sitting up thinking, oh, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. God, why are you making me do this? And so this is a very unique person. I, I don't know that I've encountered anybody with this gift, honestly. Uh, I know that there are people in the, in the body of Christ who do have that gift. And I know that all of us have the ability to give in that way in in a normal sense. And I think that it's important for all of us to know that whatever it is you and I have, God gave it to us. And if we lost it all, God's the one that's going to be in control of that. And if we got anything back, God's going to be in control of that. And I think that there's a lot of things that we end up worrying about and being concerned about and really What does it say in 1 John 5? I just think that's just an amazing verse. If you ask anything according to his will, he hears you. And not only does he hear you, you have the confidence of knowing you have the thing that you ask for. So what's the problem? You know what the problem is with us as believers? It's because we want things that are inconsistent with God's will. And we know he ain't going to give it to us. And so what we do is we play this little fancy game with your Okay, I won't say you guys do it. I'll say I do it. We, I play this fancy game with my mind. I know it's not God, God's will, and it's kind of like what was happening in James. So they don't even ask God for what they need because they know he's not going to give it to them because it's not his will. So they just then go about plotting to try to get these things themselves. And they, what did they say in James? You have not because you ask not. And you ask not because you ask evilly to consume them on your own lust. You adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity against God? So that's kind of how this is kind of convoluted, isn't it? We, ask, we don't ask God for things because we know it's not his will. And we know he's not going to give it to us. So then we will try to do things. And then we end up blaming God for not getting the things that we want for ourselves. And we say, I ask you, you never give me what I want. Right? It's just kind of convoluted, isn't it? Twisted. I'm not talking about you guys. I'm talking about me. <laughs> and it's just weird how it works. But the person with the gift of giving you, we're going to see, is led by the Spirit to give, and they are able to give over and above what the average believer could even think about doing. I think this guy here is an example of it, and we'll see it as we get into Scripture. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things, and just grateful, Father, that you have so many different And provided for so many different um, people in the body to have different gifts, and these gifts are used for the building up of the body, and each one of them are there for a specific reason. We see this guy with the gift of giving, as we see this is an example of this man here and how he was used by you to accomplish your plan and purposes in a lot of ways, and we're thankful for that. In your son's name we pray, amen. And so uh, the word for giving, there's several different words we want to look at before we get into our word that we're focused on and so in uh... we have three different words we want to look at the word Doria is one word that is used for giving and you see it used in romans the third chapter in verse twenty (laughs) four romans chapter three in verse twenty four you see a bible back there oh you you brought your own All right. romans three in verse four And So we see it with regard to the grace that has been given to the believer. Uh, Let's go back into context here. I just want to uh, point out a couple of things. Verse 20, therefore, by the deeds of law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by law, already it's in that that 20th verse, it's an author's use of law. And so by law, any kind of law. Is a knowledge of the sin nature. So all, the, Israel, the, the whole purpose of Israel, God didn't give Israel the law to make them moral. He gave them the law to show them that they had a sin nature. Now, you can see it, I mean, even with little kids. I mean, I see it with coin a lot, right? <laughs> so uh, here's just this morning, he was wanting to write on the board, and I said the, the, the dreaded word, No. <laughs> And what happens? You could just see his little sin nature kicking in. <laughs> you could just see his mind working in that way. And all, you, all law does, when you, when law, what God gave Moses, the Israelites the law for was to show they had a fallen nature and they couldn't do what he wanted them to do. And so people come out of any kind of law, these various laws for religious purposes that people come up with, all it does is it shows the sin nature. Now notice, but now there's a righteousness from God apart from law that is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all really is sinned. And when did all sin? In Adam. And notice, and keep on falling short of the glory of God. These people that are walking around thinking that they're good. I, I tell you, I've not found one person yet that have passed a good test. Not one. Not even unsaved people, because they're honest with themselves. Even unsaved people are honest with this. You know that? And so I ask them, well, you're so good, and why don't we just protect, project your thoughts that are going through your mind on the screen to everyone? You know, I've not found one person yet who would be one who would want to do that. Not even unsay people. Of course, they know you can fool anybody else, but you know, you're no good. They know it. <laughs> and they don't want to say that. And so here you have it. All sin and keep on falling short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the uh, redemption Oh, really, it's uh, freely, is, uh, is a fr- oh, uh, that word freely is our word for uh, gift. It's a um, gift that has no strings attached that are given from God. Freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so God, God gave us redemption in Christ and there are no strings attached to it. You see? And we just don 't understand that because everything you get in this life has strings attached to it, and so it just doesn 't make sense to us that God would do that and Then you have the word apoditomy" is a word that is uh, used for a gift and it 's uh, a payment or for a debt that is owed and so you owe someone and then they uh, you um, it's it 's a payment that you get for a debt that is owed. Look at Matthew the eighteenth chapter. Now, this is an interesting chapter here in Matthew chapter 18. You have the story of the guy who uh, owed a debt and he was forgiving the debt. And then he went to someone that owed him a debt and uh, had him thrown in prison because the guy wouldn't repay. Uh, Notice and we'll pick it up in verse 25. But for so much as he had not uh, paid, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had. And payment be made. And the servant therefore fell down and worshiped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me. I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and he loosed him and forgave him his debt. Uh, verse 28. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and, and took him by the throat and so gave me what you owe us. And his fellow servant fell down. I think the rocket is going off. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, mean, yeah. <laughs> I hope that's not the case. It does <laughs> Yeah. Right, well, yeah, the fact that we're still sitting here wouldn't be. Good. <laughs> and his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will be paid to y'all. And he would not but he uh, went and he cast him in the prison till he should pay the debt So when his fellow servants saw what was done They were very sorry and came and told their Lord all that was done Then his Lord after that he called him said unto him. Oh, you wicked servant I forgave you all your debt because thou desired me should you not have compassion on the fellow servant even as I had had pity on thee and so and the Lord was wroth and delivered him over his torment is that he should pay uh, what was due. And I think it's translated here, what was due him, that he should repay. I'm to assume it's uh, repay uh, is the word. It's apodidomi, and this idea of uh, a, uh, something that was old, payment for something old. And then you have parodidome, which is to give authority uh, over to someone. We won't look at that one. But the word that we wanted to focus on, if you turn to Romans, the 12th chapter for the gift of giving, is actually uh, a word that is... Um, Similar to that, it has that ditto me uh, uh, word in it, and it's in a compound form here. Notice in uh, verse, uh, we'll pick it up in verse uh, 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of our faith. or ministry let us wait on our ministering, or he that teaches own teaching are he that exhorts on exhortation and he that giveth let him do it with simplicity and so the word giveth here you don't see it there in if you have it in a linear you could see the word it's used this word metal and it's used for uh, the gift of giving and it's uh, actually uh, what is so called a pox It's only used uh, in this uh, passage here now, it's a compound form here. Well, actually, it's, it's used in other places. I'm sorry. Uh, the compound form here, the word meta, is a Greek preposition used to communicate an association with something. Uh, you have a couple of uh, prepositions used in the Greek word, and so association. You have soon, which is together, an intimate together. So when you see me and Joyce, we are soon. There's an intimate togetherness. If you see two friends together, hopefully today, it's meta. <laughs> yeah I'm not so sure anymore (laughs) loose association right there's not an intimacy there's a loose association uh, together with and that's what this one is and ditto me means to to grant or to bestow or to deliver something or to yield something to someone and so in composition it has this idea of sharing part of the resources one has uh, or or to uh, to share or to give over something And you see it in these contexts of sharing a a part of the resources one has with those that are lacking. Now let's look at this as an example. It uses a sign of those believing in the kingdom of God during Christ's earthly ministry in Luke, the third chapter in verse 11. Luke chapter 3 and verse 11. Now, if you wanted to fit the context here and what they're doing... um, unless you want to change the context here and make it a gun uh, or something like that. But, you know, that, but that's not the context here. It's they're giving something specifically in this situation. And so they were these guys that the, at the Lord, um, uh, these ones came uh, were asking concerning the kingdom of God and what they were to do. Notice he says uh, in verse nine of chapter three of Luke. He says, And now the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every uh, tree, therefore, which brings up forth good fruit, is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people ask him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said unto them, He that has two coats, let him impart to him that has none. He that has meat, let him do likewise. And so this idea of giving from something that you have. You have something. Here they had two coats. He says, proof of the fact to show that you are part of this, give one to the one that doesn't have. And so there's idea of of sharing part of your resources with those who are lacking. You see it used in Romans uh, of spiritual gifts. And notice Romans chapter 1 and verse 11. Now, again, this is an example of something that was able to happen early in the church, I'm not able to impart spiritual gifts to anybody. But Paul, as an apostle, could do that. He could do that. And you see it used a couple of times that he was able to do that um, as an apostle. And remember, we talked about it. There are no apostles today. If somebody tells you they're an apostle, go to 2 Corinthians 12 and ask them, could they do three kinds of miracles? Because An apostle can do three kinds of miracles. One of them is that an apostle could raise the dead. So you could solve this pretty quickly. If they say that they're an apostle, take them to the graveyard and see if they can raise that person from the dead. They should be able to do it. Romans the first, chapter 1 and verse 11. He tells the Romans here, for I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift uh, to the end that you may be established. And so it's used here of the giving uh, of a spiritual gift. And so the ideal is that Part of metodidomy is sharing a part of your resources with those who are lacking. The Romans did not have a particular spiritual gift, and the apostle was saying to them that I'm going to give it to you so that you might have what's what's not lacking. Now, the believer with the gift of giving excels above the normal activities. Now, we don't really have a lot of scripture telling us and showing us that particular person with the gift. But we could see how this word works, and we can extrapolate how that gift works. Now, I think the normal group uh, expectation is that believers will, will do this, but I think the person with the gift is going to go beyond this. And so all believers have a normal ability to give from one's own labor, but the one with the gift is driven to give like no other. Now, let's look at first, uh, Ephesians, the f- first chapter and verse 28. <clears throat> now, we have a lot of scripture that tells us that um, you should not, as a believer, be a sluggard. Now, I know that in Europe, and it's happening over in America, that there are, they have made it easier for people not to work, right? They are making it easier and easier and easier for people not to work because I think that the um, last uh, reckoning was that you could actually make about sixty to $70,000 if you get all of the things that they have, on like welfare and food stamps and all of these things, you can make quite a living. Uh, it's almost inviting to not work. <laughs> if I'd have known that if I was, I was working for FedEx, maybe I should stop FedEx and, <laughs> and start doing that. But Joy said no. <laughs> that, would, that would have been my conscience. And so, But there is something about working that is really important to the believer. And Paul says to the Thessalonians and 1 Thessalonians 5 if a man doesn't work, he ought not to eat. Now, there's something about hunger pains, right, that makes you want to get up and go work. And so that's, I mean, and, and so you have the world system today who are, because they're such good people, they think goodness is taking care of people. Well, one of the things that you find is, is the signs that say don't feed the alligators. You know why they say don't feed the alligators? <laughs> The more you feed an alligator, the more he then won't hunt for himself and he's expecting other people to give it to him. And that's kind of the same thing that happens here. Right. And so you see this and Paul is imploring these believers in Ephesus concerning this. Now, notice in Ephesians chapter four. And so in the Roman Empire, I want you to know and people make a big deal of slavery. Do You know that 80 percent of the Roman Empire were slaves. And it was an unusual thing to have your freedom. And so you could buy it. There are some people who could buy their freedom. If you paid a certain amount of money, you could pull yourself out of slavery. But it was unusual. Most of the people, and really if you look down through the history of human, uh, of human history, most people have been slaves to somebody. What we're doing in this country is very unique. It's very uncommon. And so notice that here in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and the reason I bring this up is because they were slaves. Slaves had a tendency to steal. And so Paul was telling believers don't do that anymore. And so notice he says, uh, 20, uh, let's start with verse 23, and you be renewed by the spirit of your mind. And so your spirit has already been renewed as the believer lives in that spirit and he's able to access and appreciate the things of God. Verse 24, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, Wherefore, putting away lying, <clears throat> speaking every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Now, you got your people today who says that if you're angry, it's sin. Well, what does it say here? Be angry, but sin not. Don't let anything come aside your anger anger, that caused you to sin. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but notice here, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is the good that he may have to give to him that has need. Now, here's what we have in the American culture today, and it's just not with people who are on a poor level. I mean, you could even see it in the middle class people. People are always looking for something from somebody. They're not looking to work so that I can help somebody else. They're looking, what can you give me? And that's the attitude. And really, it shouldn't be the attitude of a believer. You realize that? What did Paul say in the in, uh, It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. That my attitude as I work should not be just for me and mine. My attitude would be to work so that God could use whatever it is that I'm laboring in, that I might be. Able to be a help to someone else. And notice, you see it here, this word for the basis of working is to perform the good. You see that in verse 28? Let him that stole still, but rather let him labor. Um, And so here you have that word for labor, and we're going to see it down the line. It's the word for compass, and it means to work tirelessly don't believe in working tirelessly in this country much anymore. It's all about fun games. And so nobody wants to work to the point of exhaustion. Why, that's not good, they tell you. Why, loosen up, have a little fun, enjoy yourself some. And so we'll see, Paul says, to work and notice what are you working with your own hands? And what are you working? It's interesting here that he, he connects this thing. What you're doing when you're working is a good thing. It's a beneficial thing. And there is the opportunity that the Holy Spirit can use you in your labor to bring glory to God. Have you ever thought about that? When you got up to work. And so notice this, it's this thing here is where ton Agathon, and it's used in scripture, and it's the opposite of kakos evil. A lot of the problems that you see in your inner cities today, it's people who have not bought into the world system. And you just have a lot of different dynamics going on there. But the thing that you see, and, I, and I've seen this, I had a, <clears throat> a cousin that lived in the, some of the best, worst projects in New Orleans, and the thing that struck me when I went to visit her one day, when I was in New Orleans, it was during the daytime, and it was quiet. No movement. Not not a, not a whole thing. There's not a, um, a creature stirring. Not even mouse. <laughs> Back at nighttime, it's a totally different. It's, like, it's totally different. And so it's people who have mm-hmm. learned not to work. A, a, an emphasis, they bought the world system, and working tireless labor in some instances is just not that important to them. And so, notice here it's the opposite that if I am not working the good, there's the opportunity to work that which is lacking like in your character. And so, why are you doing that? And, and we'll see that it's to give, uh, to, to be able to to those. And this is, I just to let one. Verse 19. So there's a lot more involved in just working and laboring. And I think God uses this, for every believer, to provide for you to be able to have resources, not just for yourself, but that you might give to those who don't have. And I think the person with the gift of giving, they're probably getting more resources, maybe. Or even with the resources they have, they're giving from that. And and a good example of that would be the church of Thessalonica, right? They heard that there was a famine in Jerusalem. The people in Jerusalem had more money than them. And yet you had the poorer people giving to people who had more money than them. You see, it's a mindset. It really is. These people in Thessalonica would have said today, Oh, we can't give any money. You don't realize we're poor. (laughs) And yet, they pooled their resources and gave to the people in Jerusalem who were actually at a higher income level than they were. So, notice in 16th chapter of Romans, in verse 19, uh, for your obedience, come... uh, um, Let's go back to context, verse 17. Now, I beseech you, brethren, mark them with cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches, they deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has come abroad unto all. And I am glad therefore on your behalf, but yet I would that you be wise to that which is good and simple to that which is evil, that which is lacking in character. And so you see those two things in contrast to each other. And it's interesting. I put the scriptures there. You can go hunt it on your, on your own, but that word good is actually to do that which is beneficial. And I think that the only way that you're going to do that is if you're filled by the Spirit. I don't think that you're going to do that if you're not filled by the Spirit. I just don't believe you are. And I think that we're missing out great opportunities while we're in this body for God to use us. And so when I go out to work, it's an agathos thing. I have the potential to do that which is beneficial, and men can see that. And so notice uh, this good being worked out. Notice he says in Ephesians 4.28, with your own hands. Uh, And it's used that uh, phrase, the use of the uh, making of the temple. And so you, you, hey, you got 10 fingers. (laughs) They're there for a purpose. Uh, It ain't going to hurt you. They're not going to wear out over the course of some time. That you can use these hands to actually do beneficial things that God wants done. And so notice, and uh, the believer with the gift of giving labors and doing it. Notice I, I, I uh, quoted that in Acts, and just turn over to the Acts, the 20th chapter here. Acts chapter 20, and notice what Paul says here about giving. This is totally foreign to the society that we're living in today, where people are telling you, be concerned about what you can get. It's all about me, 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 me. is enough to make you want to puke. It really is. In Acts, the 20th chapter, notice verse um, 31. Let's start there. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commit you to God and to the word of grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all that are sanctified. Now, notice what he says here. It's very interesting. I have called. No man's silver our gold, or apparel. This is very important for God, pastor, teacher, as he functions here. You know, I don't need your teacher stuff. I'm not doing this to try to get you. Yea, you yourselves know that these hands have ministered to my own necessities. Paul was a tent maker, he worked. And he ministered. And notice, not just to my necessities, but to them who are with me. You see? This ideal of giving. Not just being concerned about working for me. Verse 35. shows you, show you all things, and really this one shows, it's um, actually to um, demonstrate. It's to put on a demonstration. And a lot of demonstrations, some of the best demonstrations, ones that are seen, not heard. There was one kid, a guy who used to do a phonograph um, display. And they this phonograph, and you could put pictures on the phonograph, and it was meant to teach a story by pictures. And do you know some of the best pictures are ones that you see with your eyes, not hear with your ears? You can see a lot of things. And I would say, you can, if I ask you about somebody, you can tell me about that person. You are taking a lot of information, and you don't even think about what it is you know about that person. But you see it as you see their life and activity. And Paul as my life and activity I demonstrated to you what I'm getting ready to tell you here I have showed you all things how that is so laboring but what back to 34 working with your own hands to minister to those who have need and your own needs I have showed you all things how it is so laboring we those who are in position where they Cannot support themselves. Either physically or mentally. Right? There are people, other believers, I'm talking about the world, I'm talking specifically about believers, who are not in a position where they can support themselves at times. And he says, You are to support the weak and to remember the words of our Lord Jesus. He said, It is more blessed to give received when's the last time you heard that when's the last time you've seen that it just disappeared even in church everybody is talking about me what are you gonna do for me what about me You know what that sounds like? It's like fingers on the chalkboard. It really is. And it's really a problem. And so you have this ideal of giving and every believer in the normal aspect of giving should have this attitude of working, I may have enough, I might be able to meet the needs of other people who have needs. But the person with the gift of giving is not just gonna there they're going to take it even further you might give off your refrigerator is uh you know 100 full and you might be able to give 30 minutes. that's tight <laughs> <laughs> the person with the gift giving might say let's go down honey we're gonna give everything we'll just keep a little bit in the freezer <laughs> And that's the attitude that that person will have. And so notice this idea of laboring for And uh, verse tw- uh, 35 of Acts 20, chapter 20. Those work to exhaustion for the benefit of the saints. That word copas is mostly used of other believers. One of the biggest myths mis- in the church today is that you work and you do the good and you've got to go out and help all the Say people, and that's the church's responsibility. I've told you, I had that phone, that phone in my house for a little bit, uh, and I took it out. I couldn't do it anymore. I could not do it, and I would answer the phone, and every call was not about pastor. I need some spiritual help. It was y'all's church giveaway. The <laughs> y'all's church give. I can't take it anymore. You know the responsibility. For you and I to be first. As you have the opportunity to do the good men, but especially to those who are of the household of faith, your first responsibility is to help another believer before you help anybody else. Not to say that if I saw one person and I had the resources, I'd say, well, I hope it goes well for you. <laughs> As I have opportunity, now. I'm not gonna help them if my only resources is small and I could help another believer. Unashamedly, I'll tell you, I'm gonna tell you that. I and I feel no guilt about it, not one ounce whatsoever. The responsibility to help believers first. And so uh you see this word laboring, and I worked hard. For the, to have the opportunity and the resources to be able to help others. Now, you see a good, a good example of it. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 12. This idea of laboring. So, notice in verse, um, verse 11 Wherefore, comfort yourself. Together and edify one another, even as you do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you. And so the ones laboring, they're ministering, and with labor that it's tireless work. And when you work tirelessly, you do it. But it's an interesting thing when you're working as the Lord provides for you to do it. You get tired. As I like to wear this. Somebody billboard around the church had this. You are tired in the work, but you never get tired of the work. You see the difference? You get tired in the work, but you never get tired of it. People talk about retiring as a pastor. I don't. I'm I mean, not like an ox more around me. My father passed for 43 years. He died as a pastor. And by the grace of God, I don't see it stopping. What if me we Joyce is going to retire? We're going to go to Tahiti or somewhere? <laughs> uh, <just laughs> okay. You labor to the point of exhaustion. And I believe this is where we're euphemism from in America, a labor of love. Right? It's labor that you enjoy doing. And when you're doing it for the saints, it's labor that you enjoy doing. You and I enjoy working to the point that we want to minister to other people and have the opportunity and the resources to be able to give to people who have need. And again, it comes back to that whole thing of voluntary. If you are in a where you are working and you've ministered and God's provided you with some resources and you don't feel like helping someone, don't do it. If you feel like that there comes a point you say I've got to kill people, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. If it's you're wasting your resources. The believer of, of, of giving to provide the means for giving to believers who have need. And you see so many examples of that that I've given you in Scripture. One, with the gift has a proper attitude. Giving. That's what we want to focus on. Notice, go back to Romans, the 12th chapter here. and verse um, 8, Romans chapter 12 and verse 8. He that exhorts on exhortation. He that gives. Now, those words are in italicized and really somebody once said that they're italicized and they're leaning over like they're about to fall out of the Bible because they really shouldn't be there. They're not the original. And so they're honest in what they say. They're they're writing that for good English they're, and they italicize the words because in the Greek, those words are not really there, they're just there for good English. And so he that gives it's actually you would say with simplicity. That he should conduct or do with it with So, what happens with this word of simplicity that was identified with an articular part of They actually translate it this way He that gives are really, you could say, the specific one giving. So, there is one who has the ability to continually give. They're identified by the fact that they continually are giving. Over and over and over again, and they yearn to do it. Now I don't know how many people here. Maybe there's somebody with the gift of giving in the, within the sound of my voice. They're yearning. You're just chopping it a bit to give your resources, and you would give a great majority of it. I don't know, but the one with the gift of giving has that ability. And notice, uh, let them The one with the gift. Let him, with simplicity, and this word simplicity in this context translates a word called uh, haplotase. And it's used several times in the New Testament, and it's really, it's, um, I would give it this definition. It's a singleness of mind that freely acts from how one is led by the Spirit, and it is dearth of hypocrisy and attention-giving. And so some, the person that's doing this and they're giving, they're not trying to get attention. They're not saying to everyone, "Hey, you know, I just gave eight percent. I just gave five thousand dollars last week to such and such person." You probably wouldn't even know they did it. And so, I, I, they're, they're acting freely. Nobody's compelling them to do this. Nobody's having to constrain them to do it. They want to do it. They happily want to do it many people do you know and i've seen it you know a lot of churches where a lot of people they're not happy in giving that's the thing that struck me as a kid as i saw people giving They didn't seem very happy (laughs) you know we used to sing a song right before the offering some of you've heard this you can't be god-given right (laughs) you try the more he gives you give the more he gives to you just keep on giving because it's true you can't be god-given no matter how you (laughs) Thinking, I don't know. <laughs> they didn't seem very sure that that was the case, but first, but the gift of giving—I mean, they are not looking at it that way. They're just being led by the Holy Spirit to do that. And so, look at a couple of ways that you see this Scripture use this. This singleness of mind, uh, and they're focused on what God is leading them. Look at Second Corinthians eleven three, and you see this idea of a singleness of mind. Second <clears throat> Corinthians eleven at verse three. This is actually of believers being duped away from the singleness of the um, grace of God, simplicity that is in Christ, or the singleness that is in Christ. Um now, Paul is warning the Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, when we get over to this, there's just a lot of great stuff here, and this is one of them. Notice he says in verse 1 of chapter 11, Would to God you, you could bear with me a little in my father, and indeed bear with me, I am jealous of you, but I am jealous of you that I may present you as a chaste friend to Christ. But I feel this by any means as the serpent beguiled thee, with his subtlety, so um, oh, this idea of he faked her out. She thought that what she was doing was how Satan manipulates and don't see it. You could be convinced that what you are doing is right. And he was he, he wasn't um, where she was she was doing. And you have teachers who undermine grace truth, and they believe that what they are doing is right. And so notice he says, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ, already is in the Christ, the singleness, the free act that comes from being led by the Holy Spirit that you find in Christ. You see. And not this ideal of work, I've got to do it. When you look at your position, you take done. it. He's done the work. I don't have to do work. He does the work through me. And there's an, and So you have this idea of simplicity. And so one more verse uh, you would see the illustrate how this word is used in 6, chapter uh, 6, verse 5. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Now, Paul is describing here in Ephesians what, a spiritual, what people look like when they're spiritual in various relationships. And so in chapter 5, he talks about husband and wife and what marriage situation looks like when you're spiritual. You can't tell somebody do this They can only do it if they're spiritual. And then verse 6, he talks about the relationship uh, between uh, parents, uh, believing parents, and believing children. And so here you see, if a a kid is spiritual and the parents are spiritual, this is what it looks like. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. So, a spiritual believer, you can't tell a carnal kid or an unsafe kid this. Honor your father. The word honor is give full weight to them. You know, you kids, when they're younger, they think the parents are just the greatest, right? You've heard that? Then the kid gets about 16 to 17 and they think the parents know nothing. <laughs> they just, 13. <laughs> <laughs> 13. <laughs> they just absolutely know nothing. Okay, it's going down some. <laughs> 10 before you know it. <laughs> and then there's, there's a reckoning that comes when they get into their 20s and they have kids and they begin to say, boy, the parents, they weren't so bad. And then they get to the, the parents, Jesus, after they see what their parents had to endure, <laughs> kids. And so but when you have spiritual kids, they are able to give the full weight to their parents. They are able to see it as it is, and so it's honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with thee, that may that thou may live upon the earth. Well, back in the day when kids uh, and their mother and father, they had a rock concert, and it was not the Rolling Stones, it was the throwing stones. <coughs> and, and fathers, and you fathers provoke not your children to wrath. Okay, I'll say that the carnival. When you're spiritual, you're not, you're not provoked. It's to irritate. Uh, be quiet. The idea is not to irritate. The idea is actually is to prov- is to. Um, it's the same word that's used in Acts 15. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, they had such an irritation between them. That they divided and went into uh, different places. And you can do things with your kids that can can irritate them unreasonably. There are things that parents do with their kids that are just unreasonable. It's not necessary to do it. And when you're spiritual, you're not going to do that. You're not going to cause your kids to be irritated unjustifiably. And so, and notice he says, uh, notice verse five, servants be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, with singleness in your heart. And so when you're a spiritual believer, when you go to work here, this was talking about again, you see these servants and most of the people were slaves. They were to respond to their masters with singleness. And where did that singleness come from? The heart. And you know what it encompasses? Your heart deals with your mind, your will, and your emotions. And you can say as you go to work, all right, my mind is here, but my heart, my emotions are not in it. But really, if you, when you're spiritual, all three will be there. And it gives you the right focus of what to do. There is a singleness of mind that is free from, uh, um, that acts freely as you're led by the Holy Spirit and how you conduct your job. And you know what it is? It really gives a testimony to believers. It's a shame when you're on a job and somebody could... I wouldn't even call myself a Christian if I acted the way some people act. Some of these people will run, run around and with these uh, stickers on the back of their car, Jesus is great and hallelujah and signs they put on the back of their, and then somebody runs, passes them, or, you know, cuts them off, and they're flipping fingers and doing all kinds of stuff. And you say, what? Why did you just take a sticker off your car? It's really a bad testimony. I mean, hey, I mean, if you say that you're a believer, do you know what you're saying? And that the moment you say that, that people are observing your life? And so this mindset, there's a heart mindset that causes the believer to act freely based upon focusing not on all of this other stuff, but the fact that the Holy Spirit is involved in it and that he's leading me to do something. And that's my, my utmost and single focus about it, about accomplishing this thing. And I think that when the person who has this gift of giving, he says, let him do it with simplicity and that singleness is a mindset that is singularly focused on accomplishing what God wants him to accomplish. And notice, he's getting it out from the heart. That word uh, uh, with, or let him do it in, uh, actually I think they translated it correctly. I do think that. that's instrumental use of Ian in in uh, Romans twelve eight simplicity. Simplicity is the means of how, and how to use it. It's very important because if you're carnal, these people will try to go and try to help any and everybody. And I think that's what's happened in the church. You have people, you know, take a thing that God has meant for other believers and they try to use it for everybody. You see it with people who are evangelists. Um, and so they they misuse that gift in a lot of ways um, or people who are, uh, who are. Um, uh, exhortation and some of these other gifts as well. And so this word, in, is a preposition which communicates the means of how the gift operates, and it's seen in use with the uh, preposition, i give you First Corinthians 4, as it all says to the Corinthians, uh, with a rod. <coughs> in preposition, there is not he wouldn't say, did I come or should I come to you a rod? <laughs> but he was saying, should I use this rod against you? And that's the idea. And he wasn't saying that. To come and to beat them with a rod, <laughs> though I'm sure I might, the thought may have crossed his mind. So <laughs> I and so this this in preposition can have this idea of with, and why is that important? Because this simplicity of mind is how the person with the gift operates, and it helps him to keep that gift in focus. And they're using this gift of giving in a way that glorifies God, and they're not just you know using it all over the place and haphazard about it they're looking as the holy spirit leads them to help a particular person and to be involved in a particular situation You know, if you were rich and you had a lot of money <clears throat> i'm sure you get a lot of people coming to you i mean you hear this with people who win the lottery everybody comes out the closet you know your uncles and aunts and everybody everybody's coming that was a guy who was a football player uh, he became a millionaire after he signed his contract, and his mother demanded of him that he give him a million, a million dollars uh, out of his contract. Uh, I think you know who that guy is; you've heard him. And so he said, "You get money. I mean, there's people making all kinds of demands on you, and it's important that the person with the gift understand how to use it. The effects of one with the gift of giving, uh, on the body is seen in in, in scripture." Uh, and that person with the, that gift is able to remove certain obstacles uh, to growth, uh, the, the grace of God is exemplified in that giving, and the believer's physical needs are met. And let's end with that one in 1 John 3. You see a, a good example of it, 1 John 3 in verse 16 through 17. Now, again, this is, uh, could be the case for all believers, but I think the person with the gift of giving probably takes this to an extreme level. Now notice, let's start with verse twelve of chapter three of 1 John. Not as Cain who was out from the wicked one, and or let's go back eleven. For this is a message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain who was out from the wicked one, and he slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brothers righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother abides in death. Whosoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now this characterizes really what a, tr- a true believer you could really show, or see, a believer by his true believers by their love for one another, and so this idea, this ought, uh, he laid down his life for us, and we ought. That word "ought" is that we are under a moral obligation to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, what does he mean when he say that? So, what if you were uh, on the highway and you had a flat tire, and someone stopped and helped you? then you go down the road and you see someone with a flat tire and you say well wish you well <laughs> right? i mean you wouldn't i mean wouldn't that wouldn't be right would it and so the idea is that Christ did this for you he laid down his life for us we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren now notice he's going to show how that works out in verse 17 but whosoever has this world's good and sees his brother have need, and shut up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Nothing wrong with saying I love you to another believer. Better to show it. I would hope that you and I know that we love each other by what we see. It's easy to say I love you, more difficult to show I love you. It should be evidence. And here, one of the ways that you see it within the body is that you see a brother have need. What if you see a brother have need and you say hope it goes well with you, or we put the dreaded thing on it, and there's nothing wrong with saying this. You know what we say when we see somebody have I'll be praying for you, brother. <laughs> <laughs> That's the dreaded thing that we use. I'll be praying for you. That just wraps it up all in a bowl, when we're good with it. That sometimes we will be led to do something in meeting the need of that person that has the need. A person with the gift of giving does that and more. They exceed all other believers, and not only uh, having resources, but having the desire to meet the need of believers as they see it. That guy, Laterno. Ninety percent of what he got, he gave back to the Lord. Here's a classic example that it doesn't mean that just because you see someone else doing that, that you have to do it. I guess if you feel led to do it, you can, but that guy felt led to do that. He gave 90% of what he had back to the Lord. I believe that guy gave the giving, and I think that's a classic way that you see how the gift works. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things and grateful as believers that we have the opportunity. To be able to give our, our resources, and that with our hands, we can have the resources to be able to help others who uh, might be in need. And we're thankful, Father, for the potential of that among the, the, the body. Also, thankful for the potential that we can do good to those, even among the unsaved, as the opportunity arises, and you, we're led by the Spirit to do so. We're thankful for that. In your Son's name, we pray. Amen.